0: You're listening to Beckett's Babies. We're your hosts, Sam Collier
1: and Sarah Cho. And today we have a wonderful guest. We got Olivia Lilly uh, on the show. She is a playwright, director and divisor who came up in Chicago's do-it-yourself scene. Uh, she used a devised process to create and develop her plays that she's been honing since 2013. Uh, Olivia is an artist- artistic director of prop theater she was a founding artistic director of the runaways lab theater and currently sits on their advisory board she's also an artistic associate at pivot arts and she's curated at the museum of contemporary art she, olivia attended carnegie oh carnegie mellon school of drama for directing and Interlochen arts academy for music composition olivia welcome to the show hey it's so great to be
0: here Woo. <laughs> thanks so much for coming on Beckett's babies yeah hell yeah yeah so we like to start off by asking people about their earliest memories so what was your life like before theater
2: um well it's funny my I was trying to think about my earliest memories and my mom uh, so my mom uh, used to be an actor and so um, when we when I was a baby I re- I remember her like singing and dancing for me. Well, I like, like, I was like a baby. I like laying on the bed and she would like sing and dance. And, uh, <laughs> that was like a lot of like whatever, cause she, my mom worked full time. I was like a, a child of like a single parent and I was raised by my grandparents. Um, so whenever my mom was around, we would like, she would read me stories, like make, make up stories. She was just really like creative. Um, and, uh, that's sort of what like life was a little bit like, uh, before I found theater. Um. Yeah. So it's like, I i guess theatricality, it's like never really not been around uh, for me. Uh, it definitely was like <laughs> something that like the person I cared about most would like do whenever we could be together. Um, so that's sort of where it all started. So you said you're so you were raised by your grandparents. I was. Yeah. Them? Yeah. And my mom yeah. was she was like at work all the time. Yeah. She worked mm-hmm. in the she ended up working in the fashion industry oh, oh cool.
1: wow and where did you grow up again the suburbs I mean, of Chicago suburbs of Chicago okay oh wow so you so you left Chicago or you left to go to school and then you kind of came back in I did. yeah
2: so I um you- when
1: I, yeah when yeah. I,
2: yeah yeah so when I started college at Carnegie my mom moved to she got a job in New York City at Victoria's Secret in the technical design department so I would spend all my breaks from college in New York City. Um, and then after mm, college, I decided wow. I wanted to move to Chicago. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. So it was like, I interned at like ontological hysteric theater and like Playwrights Horizons and like the neo-futurists in New York and like all sorts of <laughs> stuff there. Um, and so when I moved to Chicago, I really brought that like downtown <laughs> New York uh, like vibe there. Um, and of course- what I was yeah, in 2012, like it had been the in Chicago, like it was uh, the period right after a bunch of experimental theaters had died in Chicago. So when I moved there, with uh-huh. like crickets, everything was like, a, a, like a, a British drama with like a like a, a British family drama with like all white people. <laughs> when I first moved to Chicago. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Can you talk about what it was that made you want to come back to Chicago?
2: Oh yeah, I read a book called A Theater of Our Own. Um, and it was a book that chronicled, uh, it, it chronicled, it chronicled like theater in Chicago over the last hundred years, but it mainly uh, focused in on the 70s, like the 60s and 70s, um, and all the theater companies that popped up, um, including like the organic theater, uh, like Second City and and Steppenwolf and St. Nicholas. So that was like David Mamet's theater. Um, and it was really like, it really like, felt exciting like what was possible here in Chicago like in terms of the, mm-hmm. the tradition of like coming here and forming a company or having an ensemble and like figuring it out I also like like at CMU they they gave us their they really gave us no illusions about how no one was really going to hire like a 23 year old director to direct and at that point um mm-hmm. I had like before going to Carnegie I was like uh, I wrote musicals um and I had only maybe ever had anything, like, done as a staged reading before I went to Carnegie. Um, And so I really wanted to, like, have more experience, like, actually doing it. Um, So I moved to Chicago. (laughs) And it was, it ended up being a really good decision for me, personally, as, like, the kind of, I'm more of, like, a let's, let's try things out and, like, see how they go and learn from, from doing it that way kind of person. Um, So Chicago ended up Mm -hmm. being a good good choice though my I did like end up traveling a bit my first year in Chicago because when I moved to Chicago in May of 2012 there were no jobs like it was like right at the like height of the recession and like temp agencies Mm. would like laugh at me (laughs) about like the kind of work that I was expecting to get I guess Um, uh, and so on a, on my first year out of school, I went on this, like this kind of journey I ran off with the, with a band that didn't work out. And then I ended up in San Francisco and then I finally ended up directing one of my own plays in Los Angeles before moving back ultimately to Chicago.
1: Wow.
2: (laughs) Yeah. It was a crazy, like being 23, I was just like, oh, I guess I just like live on couches and like have to create any sort of like, I have to like forge a sense of like normalcy upon this really strange lifestyle (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah and then yeah Uh and then I finally like the first time I ever had my own apartment was in Chicago so that really like started to kind of set it apart (laughs) from my experience in these other cities (laughs) (laughs)
1: so from like couch surfing to like okay this is my own space now (laughs) yeah like (laughs) Like,
2: like you could get a a road in chicago in 2013 or 2012 for for 300 and it was like in a neighborhood and you were like okay like if that can pay like wow i'm coming here we go
0: (laughs) yeah yeah i think that's one of the biggest that was one of the biggest reasons um i remember thinking about after grad school about, you know, a selling point for Chicago's, it's just so much more affordable <laughs> than, mm-hmm. than the coasts.
2: <laughs> yeah, it is. It's, 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 I mean, they're all of the cities have their different pros and cons I feel. Um, and based on like, I feel like it's important to think about like what kind of like, per, like what kind of person you are when it comes to, like choosing a city, like where are the areas in which you excel? Like, I particularly have a bit of an entrepreneurial bent to like everything I do and like that director element to everything I do. So like I was like, oh, Chicago makes sense for me because it is very DIY or like build build your own like world, whereas other mm-hmm. places have different modus operate. Like you, you have to like move within them in different ways. Um, so I mm-hmm. like I'm, I have a lot of respect for people that are like doing the hustle in a certain way and like la or in new york or like in any of the other like awesome regional cities like atlanta or or like san francisco or minneapolis like it's kind of cool how america has so many different options for like different kinds of theater makers you know yeah Mm -hmm.
1: so i'd love to learn more about prop theater um where did the first of all where'd you how'd you come up with the name um and oh, so prop can you tell theater, us it? yeah,
2: yeah. So prop theater was uh formed in 1981 i was not there oh, <laughs> oh okay okay yeah my, well when i first moved to chicago i had my own theater company called the runaways lab theater um mm-hmm. and i ran an ensemble that was like a devising ensemble for like three years um because when i first moved to chicago i was like i'm gonna like be like liz lecomte i'm going to form my own rooster group like that's what's gonna happen um And so I did that for three years, and I ultimately felt like that wasn't the perfect way to make – that wasn't, like, the right fit for me. I didn't really want to be with the same people uh, continuously forever. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I stepped down as artistic director, and other people uh, took up the reins. And then I was like, I'm going to figure out what this, like, freelancing world is like. And ultimately – after those, so I, I, I like talked to friends of mine who had pitched things to other companies, and I kind of started to figure out what that was and started to get brave enough to like ask artistic directors to come to shows and started, you know, doing that thing. And uh, that was fine. And it was like about a year later that I was like, oh, I really like leading a company, I really like having a creative mm-hmm. home. Uh, I do like the producing aspect um, because something that I would often feel while I was uh, pitching projects was like I was unsure how the company was going to be running like during the project like I I would it it was just I I would get I I get a lot of like bad vibes of like I don't know if this place is organized enough to pull this off you know because like I just I had been doing it so so regularly for so long in Chicago that I could, I had a sense of like what people should be planning and what they shouldn't be. So I, it was hard. It was really hard to take my producer brain off. Um, mm-hmm. um, and I had formed a relationship with prop because um, in 2015, I had did, I had done this show, um, this, ver- this version of Goethe's Faust that performed in a different apartment and rehearsed in a different apartment every night of the, the project, basically from start to finish. And I was crowdsourcing apartments on the internet And Stefan Brun, who um, was the founder of Prop, basically was like, I want to take you to coffee because, like, I have questions about this. And he basically was like, I think, like, what is this 25-year-old doing Faust for? Like, you're not – this is not going (laughs) to be good. And so I was like, want to bet? And then I was like, do you have any spaces at the Prop that I could do the show in? And they had an apartment upstairs above one of the theaters. And so I was like, we'll, we'll do it there. And so we did it there. And then he was like, all right, damn, that was, that was awesome. Uh, And that was kind of the beginning of our, our relationship. Um, And every year Prop does something called Rhino Fest, which is a big experimental theater festival in Chicago. Um, And Mm -hmm. the first way that they started to kind of form a relationship with me was they would reach out and invite me to submit to Rhino. Um, And then like a year, I think a year or two later, I, uh, directed a rock musical that was in Rhino Fest, and it was a very big hit. So they asked; they basically commissioned me to create an original show for prop um, for that coming season. Um, and we kind of put it in this like late night category, so it was like an hour long show that ran after their main stage show. Um, so I I did that. I I, uh, I produced and directed and like wrote that from start to finish. And then at the end of that period. Um, I came to them with uh, a a new pitch and Stefan asked me to be artistic director and I was like so cool immediately yes like in my because they have their own space like they have a two theater facility that they've been operating since 2005 and so I'd never been in the position where like I I was being like presented with like a physical home Um, Mm -hmm. and I also like really like like Stefan is like someone who I consider a mentor now. And I like really dug the energy around prop. Um, and so, yeah, it's some it's funny. Cause like, it, it was a big decision to make like very quickly, but it felt like when, when the, uh, the opportunity presented itself, it just felt like it felt right. Um, so I grabbed it and, uh, prop theater is now, uh, um, we are, uh, we produce devised new works and new plays um, ne- right next to each other um, from start to finish. So we essentially commission, th- develop, and produce the world premiere of everything that we do. Um, there's definitely, I mean, over the over my first two years of being AD, um, we definitely experimented with a reading series that happened like almost every Sunday. <laughs> we experimented with mm-hmm. like one-off workshops, but now we're working on how can we kind of not be a part of just like developing things to hell. How can we just be like, how can we truly like commit to an artist and to a project from start to finish? So that's what we do now. (laughs) That's so cool. And so, um, I think
0: some listeners might be curious about, uh, how, like what it looks like day to day, um, to be the artistic director of a small theater in Chicago and um, like what kinds of decisions do you get to make? And also I'm kind of curious about how uh, how you see you being the theater, how, how prop theater sees its uh, role in the Chicago theater scene right now and like for the next few years. So how, so that's
2: a, that's a big question, those but I'm just kind of wondering questions. if you can. Yeah, those are amazing. Okay. Take it away. <laughs> um, well, one thing that is very important to know about Chicago is like pretty much everyone has day jobs. So when I'm not um, working at my theater, I work at a restaurant two days a week, except for mm-hmm. right now, because obviously everything's closed. Um, and I work on Fridays and Saturday nights. I'm a busser and I fucking love bussing, uh, because it is like the, it, I think is the perfect day job for me because I can just get this workout. I can just like get shit done and I don't have to think and I don't have to, well, I can like, I mean, I think, but like, I don't have to like think critically all the time. And I also don't have to like expend a ton of my hospitality energy, which I like to save for all of the business at prop. Um, Mm -hmm. So on a daily basis, I would say I'm usually taking meetings with artists that we are either scouting or developing relationships with, or we're working on a grant for something we want to do upcoming. Um, I am currently writing all of the grants, and I kind of dig that because it really helps me articulate Um, The strategy and like ever it just basically makes me put into words everything that's going on at prop at any given time and like really like gives me a place to synthesize everything I've learned from the year before Um, because it always kind of grant season is like winter Um, so it's like goes from like January through March Um, so there's that grant component so that's been on my brain a lot the last couple months Uh, The other Mm -hmm. thing is I do all the hiring, like all of the contracting, artist contracting for all of the shows. Um, So, And we have a specific prop theater-like model um, where our actors, designers, um, just every artist involved gets paid equally. Um, And it's all like – Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, so it's a guaranteed minimum. And if if ticket sales are higher, 50% of ticket sales always go to the artist's. Um, but if they're higher than the guaranteed minimum, everyone makes more than that. But if ticket sales fifty percent is less, they still make their guaranteed minimum. Um, so we can still promise the that, which is really wonderful. Um, so I will like get on the phone with every artist we hire to like explain the method so that they are oh, like there's no mistaking like what we do and how we do it. Um Mm -hmm. because like in Chicago theater, a lot of it is non-equity. We're non-equity. There's a lot of things going unregulated. So we have to kind of make up for that unregulation with creating our own rules and structures um, so that our artists can feel respected and will know like where to go when they're having issues. Um so that's another huge factor of things I do is like things involving contracts and artist relations. Um, I'd say then the third component is, uh, I'm always out scouting, um, directors and and writers and just artists in general, but then also I'm reading plays, um, and that is uh, something I love, uh, (laughs) and mm-hmm. but it is hard because like there's i definitely need to like gather the plays over time and then like like right now during quarantine i can finally like sit down and be like okay i'm going to i'm going to go through these two things today or i'm going to go through these three or i'm going to just knock out one um and give that my like full attention so i never i'll never read more than like three plays in a day like cuz i want to give writers like my my full like presence um yeah. So those are, yeah, those are the three components. And then I work with um my director of marketing, who is also um, we have a uh an NPN, the National New Play Network, uh producer in residence, Tara Branham, um, who is a, an amazing uh, new play director herself. Um, and so I'll be inter- interfacing with her about marketing and anything of that nature. And then I guess the last sort of crown on top is the board. So I Uh, we have quarterly board meetings. Um, I work very closely with some of the board members on other tasks that they're involved with. Um, those are, yes. So that's, that's like the daily kind of things that I'm, and then I'm also an artist. So I'm always like writing or scheduling a workshop or scheduling a reading or something and doing my rewrites. So Mm -hmm. then, yeah, that's my thing. Or yeah, applying to uh, grants for like the film stuff that I do. Um, Uh, What was the second part of your question? I don't want to like... Oh, just about how...
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just about how um, the theater, you guys see yourselves uh, and your role in Chicago and how you're kind of envisioning the next few years. Oh, yeah. Do you see your theater changing in any particular ways?
2: Well, so I kind of see prop theater as like the home of experimental theater. Like it is sort of like the mini downtown New York kind of like hub for Chicago. Um, mm-hmm. Like with, with our opportunities, like we, we do two main stages a year. And then we also do Rhino Fest, which can basically hold up to like, like we did 48 shows this year somehow. And that is like it's amazing. Yeah. Now there's, and now that Chicago Fringe is gone, like there's no more, like that is the one festival. And so I love to see like that feeling like this watering hole of like experimental, like almost like a Dixon place, but like on a mass level, it's like a, a tank. Like, yeah, that kind of like, that's what the, what prop um, and Rhino Fest feel like, but that's sort of what I hope like that prop will start to, to really kind of become like the here art center kind of, of, Mm-hmm. but also like I love No, Nova like I, I pull it's funny like I pull a lot of New York references all the time because I like tr- kind of try and keep my eye on like some of those theaters that I like to study kind of what they're doing <laughs> and kind of infuse mm-hmm. that yeah um I mean we are at, at prop we are uh we have some really cool things on the horizon like we are hoping to on the DL I mean I it's public so but like we're not like <laughs> this is great for everyone who's hearing but like we're gonna do a capital campaign where hopefully prop theater will buy the building from the owner and then do all the necessary renovations to really like make it so we can just like own that place and oh that that would be amazing yeah and then hopefully my stipend will increase and like everything <laughs> so those are like my like in terms of like the big vision of like where it's going first we need to like own it <laughs> We're doing the work that mm-hmm. we're doing, but then we need to own it. And then we can do even bigger, like more like, like holistic vision shit. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's kind of where I see it. Yeah. We're, we're kind of like the goth girl and the we're like the weirdos, like in the corner of Chicago theater, like just like flicking a lighter.
1: <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So let's, uh, pivot to your play, Di- Diary of an Erotic Life. I um, would love to know, you know, what inspired you to write this play. You know, what was the um, the ideas behind it, and like, what was the process like? And I'm, was it with? So I'm guessing it was commissioned through Prop. Is that Yeah. Right? So um,
2: we started. It was it was commissioned. Um, it was going to be um, opening this April. Obviously, it's postponed um, because of uh, COVID. Um, but. Uh, basically I was in, I came into the room with the idea that we are adapting the Lulu plays by Frank Biedekind. And then the question, what happens if we set this in 2019 Lincoln park um, and Lincoln park for people who don't know Chicago is sort of like a nouveau riche, like neighborhood. Um, it's uh, not quite gold coast, which the name kind of says everything. Um, <laughs> it's uh, it's like kind of uh, like framed around like a strip of very, very bougie like little like stores that a bunch of like artists kind of like work at. And then also Steppenwolf is in Lincoln Park. Um, and so I took that idea and then took the idea of this text and I cast the play with all actors I had worked with at least once and assigned everyone like a base character. And then when we got in the room, we started to kind of figure out what story we wanted to tell. And so we ultimately told the coming-of-age story of an undocumented, well, girl with precarious um, uh, visa status throughout the play. Um, her kind of coming-of-age uh, and coming into her own uh, American identity. Um, yeah, so that's, it. But that's what we ended up. That was the thing that we all, that was a story we all collectively decided we wanted to tell. Cool.
0: And then how did the script develop from, you you know, everybody being in the room and devising? And then, you know, at what point did you start actually writing? And how did it kind of develop um, over the course of that process? Can you just walk us through what that looks like?
2: Yeah, so um, I begin the, the process I particularly work with is like a a playwright-centered devising process. So it sort of combines new play development and devising. Um, So the thing about uh, this process is we started with the source materials, um, base characters, um, and yeah, the story as found in the original text. And then the thing that happened in the first eight weeks, um, so the first eight weeks was the devising workshop, and we met once a week. Um, And that involved uh, writing assignments, performance assignments, improvisation, discussion, all sorts of um, some physical work, um, all sorts of different exploration tools. And by the end of that workshop, we had characters with relationships to each other. And we had a basic um, understanding of what act one would look like. And then act two, Mm -hmm. we were kind of like a little fuzzier on because in the actual text that we were adapting it is also fuzzy so we were I was very like okay I'm gonna have to like really like I'm gonna have to make something up great awesome and so then everyone we we disbanded for like basically four months I went about writing a a first draft and then I like to say the actors like when we come back together for the first reading, they get to yell at me about how I did everything wrong (laughs) because I like (laughs) to kind of start the base of our conversation as like, well, this doesn't just become like my show. Like, it's like, this is something that I expect you actors to always like be honest with me about. Um, And we're going to have to like, like screw my ego to the, you know, like the, like, this is about us. Like, collaborating to develop this story and these characters together um and so at in the end of yeah end of september so we we stopped that workshop in like beginning of um like yeah beginning of july and then we came back together with the first draft at the end of september and they responded like we we read it and we like it was always like (laughs) And, and it's like always in my first reads, the play's like two hours, like two and a half hours or something. <laughs> um, and then I decided after that first read that I was going to throw out my act two and like start from scratch with act two. And so then I started meeting individually with the actors. And the first person I met with was uh, the actress playing Lulu, um, who is uh, this dope actress. Her name's Valeria Rosero. And she's uh, an immigrant from Ecuador um, who grew up in Logan Square. Um, and uh, she really gave me a lot of insight into parts of the undocumented experience that I didn't quite I didn't quite understand yet, you know. And we had like a nice like two hour two three hour conversation. And then with uh, with sort of her blessing, after I kind of sent her the first rewrite, like the first scene of Act Two, she was like, "Okay, I really dig this new direction. Let's go for it." And so I. I started, I started off running. And then uh, I think a month later we had the second read and everyone was like, wow, it's gotten so much, like that's so much, like that's so much better. It's getting on that right track. And we started to kind of hone in on different parts and different, different relationships um, and kind of chip away at them. And I had two, I basically have two, like a dramaturg and a writer's assistant and an AD and so all of those people were kind of working with me to like chip away and the actors. So I felt really, really like everyone was just like in this together, working, working out all of those deets. Um, and <laughs> we got into like, a, we started rehearsals in early March. So we were about two weeks into rehearsal when um, we had to postpone um but those first two weeks were awesome we I I did so much cutting it was great I love (laughs) that I love when I'm like reading a scene I'm like all right I got some cuts for you and they're all like yay you know um so yeah that's where we that's where we kind of have left off uh
0: are you guys trying to do any kind of um like virtual rehearsals or is it all just postponed
2: it's all postponed um I have been like a little it's because we were getting to the point where I was like, oh, I really can't wait to see act two on its feet. So then I can really respond to that. Um, and it would be, I think, too emotionally hard right now for me personally yeah. to like go back in right now, just because it was like, yeah, it was like, we were, we were rolling towards opening. Um, and I felt like the work that needed to be done next was really like, seeing things on their feet and living them on their feet and so i've been trying to work on other things that are a little bit not as far that are not as as far along in their development um that i can do more yeah like i've been trying to do that kind of work during during this break so that when i come back it'll be like nice and fresh and like i mean i've been talking to all my actors but it's been it's it's nice to just let them be humans also I think, yeah, like, totally. I, w- I want to respect, like, where they're at, too, um, but, yeah, but part of it is, like, I mean, so- sometimes people are, like, oh, maybe we could do a reading, and I'm, like, I really, t- I can't, I can't, <laughs> soon. No, I, I right don't, there. I don't
0: blame you, I mean, I think that's a completely legitimate decision, and, you know, I think there are lots of good reasons to do theater virtually. And then there are also lots of good reasons to wait for when it can be face to face again. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and every process is different and every piece of work is different.
2: Totally. Yeah. It's right now. It's just living as like my, the promo photos we took like that Saturday before or that Sunday before everything kind of shit hit the fan. So, my uh, background on my computer is a lovely um, promo image from the show, and that's really nice to see. That's <laughs> mm-hmm. a nice reminder being like, there is a show, it will happen
1: eventually. Yeah. So, in terms of creating new work uh, for listeners who are, you know, from everything you just said to, you know, picking a city, moving to Chicago. Um, meeting people, start developing New York, you know, what advice would you have for our listeners who are kind of like, maybe when this is COVID thing is all over, <laughs> uh, what steps can I take uh, to do the work that I want to be doing? I would say theater
2: um, is above all a industry of relationships um, and not just like, oh, that person's really hot and like really like um, perceived to be emerging. So I should like hitch my, my, myself to their wagon like that's one way of doing things but it's much better to like who are the people around you who are dope who you like really like um or if you're feeling like I don't really know if I know where I don't I don't know if I am around those people like find a way to like put yourself close to people who you think are exciting um mm-hmm. who also are kind of like still trying to figure out like the the career aspect of everything um because mm-hmm. I would say that's the career aspect is very separate from the artistic practice of everything. And that's kind of important to, that's an important distinction I think um, to have in your mind is that you can be developing the career aspect and you can also be developing your artistic practice. um, And that doesn't always look like the same thing. Um, And so like, yeah, finding the people that like are exciting to you. And sometimes that can mean like having auditions because like, when I moved here or when I moved to Chicago in twenty like 2013, I don't know, I moved there a couple times, but, but um, uh, my first reading or my first thing I ever did was just like a cold, uh, like open call, like just me putting out an open call for this play mm-hmm. that I wanted to work on and people like showing up. And like, that's how I, co- I like assembled my company. It was like, people that I ended up working with who I didn't know before who like I really dug and they like really dug me and they were like on board and then they hopped on. And by the time I left runaways, they were like 15 or so like artistic ensemble, like members, you know? And so, That's so
0: cool.
2: yeah, it's important not to feel like, Oh, I can only work with the people I like went to school with. Um, you know, cause I was like in my, my graduating class at CMU, like, I think I was like pretty much the only person in directing or acting who moved to chicago at the time so it was like i was really like (laughs) this lone wolf um and that's okay like you can totally be that and like also like like figure out how to thrive um so yeah i would say go moving around very with like an open heart um and also kind of making decisions about what you like and like what, what what work like really strikes you just following those um those impulses and and, and, in, yeah, that, that's gonna, that's gonna lead you somewhere that's exciting for you and you'll figure out like what it all means Mm -hmm. as you go.
1: (laughs) What you just said reminded me of something. Um, I don't know if it was like a teacher or a Ted talk. My, my (laughs) life is blurred right now, (laughs) but you know, I just remember the thing I remember hearing and learning is like the, the the real power is like it's the ability to see the the strength like the people's um what they're able to, their capabilities and then uh, connecting them with the people you know like being like oh we could do this we could create this we could work on this and you could this person will be so great with this person like seeing mm. that more so than like oh um I have money. here's some money <laughs> or like uh, I oh uh, like I I have this pedigree or whatever. it's like the just that ability no matter mm-hmm. who you are that you could you could find and seek out and connect is like that's where I think what you're just me thinking made me think of is that that's the real power in collaboration and that
0: like connect people with other people um,
1: yeah. Like the yeah. ability to see that, like what is in that person that you're like, oh, like he's really good at, you know, like his he has great insight into this certain world, or like he's has this ability to uh, draw, like have, be like he's an artist, you know, like all those things. Like you just once you like see it, you tap into that talent. And being able mm-hmm. to connect that talent to other talents, you know. Yeah,
2: I would definitely rec- like describe that kind of um, superpower as a producer power. Um, and I would definitely mm-hmm. recommend every artist, actor, um, every artist in the theater, actor, director, playwright, dramaturg, to think about um, adding producer skills to your arsenal because it does give you more agency to be able to to make mm-hmm. what you want to see in the world um and you'll also be able to call bullshit on some people way faster if you know how any of that works and you'll save yourself some time if you do that (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. so true yeah (laughs) that's so true
0: um olivia i'm gonna ask you a big question before i move to glissons and i'm going to modify it slightly because of the times we're living in so um what how would you define what it means to be an artist in the 21st century and also what it means to be an artist during the global pandemic
2: (laughs) oh yeah well i think that um i think uh being an artist in the 21st century means you kind of have to have that gig economy hat on or that entrepreneurial arts entrepreneur hat on or that community organizer hat on, like, how can you um, make something that will have impact and how do you set up your thing to have impact? Um, And then also Mm -hmm. like, where is the, like, why do you want to make a thing? Why, why, um, what, what is that? Where's the, where is this all coming from, you know, and being able to, to be deliberate about that. Um, those I think are the 21st century artist skills um so just like millennial skills <laughs> yeah like why am I doing this what what's what you know what what is the whole plan because I think millennials like I mean I mean me, sure, surely other generations are like this as well but as a millennial who's like I was graduating into the world where there were no jobs and I really had to get creative when it came to like how do I have how do I ever have money um we have to be particular about like everything we do, (laughs) including like we have to eat eat as well. (laughs) Um, Like, so we are very millennials, I think uh, overall, unless you like regret, you like have worked for Google since you graduated or something. We uh, are very intentional about how we do stuff and what we do. Um, And I think that that has like really infiltrated, especially since like, uh, with the birth of like Napster in the early 2000s, like that really took oh away gosh, the Napster. power <laughs> of like record companies, you know, like suddenly it's like, oh, musicians had to figure out how to make money outside of just like selling a record. Like it really de-stabilized like the industrial complex. And um, yeah, that's exciting. <laughs> And then what was the second question? I'm sorry.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah. So that's a really nice lead into. So given that uh, being a 21st century artist necessitates, you know, being a gig worker and being an entrepreneur. um, How can an artist, what does it mean to be an artist during a global pandemic when everything
2: is closed? Oh, man. I think it's half. We all have to stay home. It's half, like, I mean, it's funny because it's, I mean, kind of like, as I listened to the one, the podcast you did last week, and it's been interesting. I'm excited to hear the one you do next week and hear what people, because I'm sure you'll ask this question again and everyone will respond. Um, But at this point, I'm like, I think it's half taking care of yourself and like being alone. And then there's the other half is like, how can I help other people on the internet right now? Or at least I've been trying Mm. to like go like, well, Okay, I'm okay. Like, but like, so for example, Prop just put our um, live stream of our fall show on the internet for free, um, and I gathered. Oh, that's amazing! But I, and and I felt weird about like if we had to put like either a paywall or like uh, or like a please donate to Prop here because I was like I don't want Prop to just profit off the work that these artists did. So I gathered as many like Venmos from the artists as possible, and so on the website it's like here's the show for free. And if you want to donate, donate to these people directly oh, cool. so that there's no like mistaking where the funds are going. Um, um, so that was like, I feel really good about having made that happen. That feels good, you know, like, uh, and then yeah. I was on like, I was on my friend's like storytelling, like game show <laughs> last night, like their live stream storytelling game show. And I was raising money for a performance artist friend of mine who has covid and that felt good, too. I felt, like, kind of terrified because I'm not a performer. Uh, but I was like, I'm going to do mm-hmm. it because it'll help somebody. So mm-hmm. I, that's how I've been, like, trying to think about, like, look, if I'm going to be making art on the internet right now, it really should be about someone else.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and that we have... We as theater artists are used to, you know, changing our strategies really quickly or figuring things out yeah. by the seat of our pants. Yeah. And so, um, in a way, maybe in a way, uh, we have a lot to offer in this time.
2: Yeah. I think, I think I, uh, part of me is like not that shocked by this kind of way of life. Cause I'm like, I, uh, I try and like live pretty frugally as is and like, work uh, jobs that make me money as little as possible so i can like spend the rest of the time writing and like doing my prop work um so there's like only a (laughs) for me personally it's just a slight adjustment except for like the fact that i don't have like regular income coming in (laughs) but Mm -hmm. i like there's some people that are like horrified that they've never lived like this before and i'm kind of like "Well, well the sad reality is like me and and my partner are both kind of like well it's like this isn't that different <laughs> mm. except for the gathering in in places like because that's obviously like as a theater artist that's like my my like that's yeah. what's gonna make me give and bring me comfort yeah <laughs> and like and so really. being, not having that is like that's the like crazy emotional shock <laughs> I might not have a lot of money, but I can gather in bars, in in theaters, in places, and that's very like it's very much the Chicago way. Also, is like Chicagoans love to gather; they love it around everything. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah. Well, shall we move on to Glisten's?
1: Yeah. Uh, Yeah. You want to go first, Sarah? Yeah, I could go first. Um oh, you guys, what a time we're living in, right? Um so my glitz- <laughs> this week, uh, and for our listeners when this airs is probably be April 20th. Um I I have been just I don't know, like I just feel like my time my life has just been on a weird standstill. But um there's a couple things. That pop into mind. One, I read an, uh, a New York Times article. Have you guys heard of this place? I feel like I maybe someone I know is participates. If I like called the Wing or like Wing, it's like no. New York. Did New York Times with this crazy like feature on it? But it's basically this place, which is like promotes women's like feminism and stuff. But it's like it's if you see pictures, it's like very Instagram worthy. Like it's like hot like pink and like designed and it's so uh hip and cool and trendy and like people like um uh, Mindy K. Ling would come and you know just like that would all gather and like talk about you know feminism in a way right but then this whole article was like about um how um like they they tout these like ideas and values but like their own workers are all female and they're all like people of color are not being paid well or like they're not they're being treated horribly by these like by like these wealthier women you know and I was like that is just so insane um so that's like I just read that recently this week cuz wow. it was like recommended to me and I was like thinking I just just like thinking about like tech worlds in general just Mm -hmm. like right now it's like instacart and uh like amazon is like shipping but then they're like their workers aren't treated really well and and like i'm just like sorry guys i'm such a downer (laughs) but i'm just like seeing the (laughs) the flaws of like all this like yeah what's like they're all coming up and i'm just it's like because i'm not like moving up and about i'm just like in my home i'm just sitting i'm like seeing it all bubble up and i'm like wow we live in a very horrible world, but I'm trying to be optimistic. In My, my tone of voice is like, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know.
0: Well, we all have a lot of time to dwell on depressing things. So, you know, I think
1: there's got to be a balance. I know. And I'm also crocheting a lot. Like, that's... That's good. Aww. Yeah, I'm trying to vote. <laughs> I'm like I'm not even making a scarf. I thought I was making a blanket, but I think I'm just this like perpetual crocheting. I'll never end. I'm just gonna keep going until there's no more yarn <laughs> in the world.
2: <laughs> I love that. Have y'all noticed um, there are like fake uh, like celebrity death stories now on the internet? What? When someone posted something and it was like Barbara Streisand found dead, and then it was like fa- it wasn't real. <laughs> I was like, what the hell? <laughs> i was that's like, cool that's getting, like that's getting like to a next level of fake news shit when like random people are dead and like it's not true <laughs> uh, wow i saw that and i was like oh my god! and then that's that, terrible it you know, wasn't really a stink on the internet about it so i was like that's weird that that could just like go happen and like no one like calls it out or anything it's just there
1: <laughs> wow Um, Olivia, do you have a glisten that you like to share? Um, so that it's
2: uh, like things that we've been following, right? Yeah. Or something Some that little, whatever it comes up.
0: Something that happened the week, this week or something that that stuck with you.
2: Oh, yeah. I've been following a friend of mine. So a friend of mine who's this performance artist, she has COVID. And she's been making all these Facebook Live videos, um, updating us on her progress but also she's wow. uh, at one point she made she wrote she was feeling really great and she wrote a poem about COVID and it was so good and she's really like it's like she's really like creating a narrative out of it like she's really battling the monster um, wow. like they yeah they are really like just owning like this experience in a really exciting way so I've been like following that it's like yeah in, in an age where we're like watching all this like reality tv um and mm-hmm. we can like follow those characters on like their their instagrams and things after the show is over i feel like some of my friends have been turning into like these almost like reality tv stars for myself uh, <laughs> <laughs> um so that yeah and then another friend of mine who's an actress in chicago just decided she was gonna make tamales for everyone and deliver them to their door and so she did <laughs> that's amazing i know i was like oh my god so her name's Sonia lynn mata she's awesome um and she just yeah she was like you don't have to give me any money so i gave her a beer but <laughs> <laughs> it was wild wow. cool okay well
0: i want to I... real
2: quickly yeah sorry
1: now i, I have also another lesson i want to add is yeah tell us what you think of was because is the cuomo brothers oh my gosh i know amazing (laughs) i just can't i can't not stop watching those two interact i'm like you guys are so funny and because only because let what you were saying about your friend because um (laughs) we think of cuomo brothers because chris cuomo had the covid and he's like still doing his show prime time and it's like still and talking about his progress and um yeah, so I was just like, I've been following those brothers and I cannot stop following them. I just like, every time I see a clip, I'm like, I have to watch it. Like, it's the <laughs> only delight during this time. <laughs> just like their they're whole, like, banter towards each other. Oh, my God. It's so yeah. funny. <laughs> Romance, Real bromance I, right there. I haven't
2: watched it. I'll <laughs> check it out.
1: Yeah. The.
0: <laughs> uh, well, my lesson is I got really sick this week and um i'm feeling much better i think Hi. it was a stomach bug but um what got me through you guys was Powerade. and i am <laughs> my neighbor brought me some power aid when i was like super dehydrated and couldn't eat anything and i'm pretty sure i'm alive because of power aid so i have a new place in my heart for Powerade.
2: Praise drinks. Powerade. Um, Praise Powerade. What,
1: what was the what was the flavor? What was it the, the drink? Uh,
0: orange. I had mm-hmm. orange and the yellow one. I think the orange okay. was
1: better. Yeah, yeah, that's good for you, Sam. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Powerade. Oh wow. Well, Olivia, um, where can our listeners find you or oh, learn um, about? Yes, I have an NPX profile,
2: Olivia Lily. um, And then also I'm on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, Facebook, I'm Olivia Lily. And then Instagram, I'm the Olivia Lily. I know. (laughs) I I tried to change it and then I was like, nah, this is great. Fuck it. (laughs) Girls can be confident.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. We'll make sure to link that in our um, social and all our posts. And Wow this is incredible thank you so much for coming onto our show and talking and reaching out to us this is I'm so glad this all worked out yeah
0: yeah, too. and good luck with your show when it does open thank you. Um, when you guys have a new date yeah. yeah we'll definitely let everyone know about it
2: awesome thank you so much it's so lovely to get to chat with you so